Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give to you our hearts and our minds, our lives as a living sacrifice, as your word calls us to. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be at work here in this place to to advance us, to mature us in Christ's likeness. Lord, you'd give us a soft heart, a willing heart to go where you would have us go, to do what you would have us do, to speak as you would have us speak. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. There is not a more controversial person in history than Jesus. People love him, people hate him. Some say he will make you rich and he has a wonderful plan for your life if you only have faith enough. Others say he never existed. Most want to shape him into someone who will either not bother them at all or who will be some sort of a a wish-granting, unseen Santa Claus. They take one or two things that he said or did in his lifetime and extrapolate that into a a person or, or a God that they can deal with. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus once asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? And after uh, a variety of answers, from an Old Testament prophet to a, a resurrected John the Baptist, he then asked them, Who do you say I am? To which Peter replied, You are the Christ, a title of vast significance and an eternal impact when we realize just what that means. As we enter into Holy Week, as we enter into this Easter season, we want to begin by looking at the reason for the season. Not a phrase you associate too much with Easter, huh? But, but there, he is the reason for this season that we celebrate, Jesus. And since it is Palm Sunday, we will start our week off right by digging into and looking at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Triumphal entry, an event that is simultaneously triumphant and shockingly disappointing. It is both of those things. It is is triumphant and it is tragic all at the same time. As we examine our text today, we're going to see the reality of who Jesus is. We're going to see a misconception of Jesus. And finally, just an outright denial of Jesus. We're going to ask ourselves, who do I say he is? Who do I say he is? Which one of those? Is it the reality Is it the misconception or the denial that my faith aligns with? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark. Mark chapter 11. I'm going to start at verse 1 and read through verse 11. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Mark 11, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, 
at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. In Mark's account of this event, we see the evidence of the reality of Jesus, the glory and honor that are due to him. We see glory given to him, but in, in a misconceived notion of who he is and his purposes here. And then we see the glory withheld from him. The, the empty faith of a very active temple life. Did you see the glory of God appropriated to Jesus through the donkey? I almost titled this morning's message, Be a Donkey, but then I thought better of it. But, but it's because we see, it is through this cult that we see the reality of who Jesus is. Verses 2 through 6, it reads like this. And he said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside the, in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. Jesus, without being there in the village, without being even nearby, knew the location and the nature of this colt. He knew where it would be and what this colt was like. He says to them, in, a, in an adjacent village some distance away, he, he couldn't see the animal from there, there is a colt. It's located immediately as you enter that village. It is tied down. And no one has ever ridden it. He tells them how to ask for it, and they find it just as he said. And it was given over to them just as he said. This was all reminiscent in my mind of, of when Nathaniel believed in Jesus for the first time, one of his disciples, as he was called to be a disciple in John 1. We see it says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I don't know exactly what was going on under that fig tree, but apparently Nathaniel was under the impression that he was completely alone and there is no way that somebody could have seen him where he was. And in that simple moment, in that simple moment, Nathaniel recognized the omniscience of Jesus and, and perhaps even the omnipresence of God in him, that he is the Son of God. God, who is omniscient and omnipresent, there is no knowledge or event that can be kept from him. And now we see it again. As Jesus gives his disciples explicit instructions, knowing that it would be just as he said. He doesn't say, I think you'll find, or go find me a donkey. He doesn't say, perhaps or maybe. He said, this is how it will be. This is what you will say, and it was. In his instructions, he tells them that to, to say that the Lord has need of it. The Lord. First, we see the evidence of his deity, proof that in him the fullness of God dwells bodily. And now he says it outright. I, the Lord, need that colt. As it says in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, is one. And as Paul later said to Timothy, Jesus Christ is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. He is God. And in Israel, as with many other nations, the king had every right to requisition any animal he chose. And so he tells them, go into this village, tell them that the Lord has need of their colt, and they will give it to you. And they did. He had the right to requisition this animal. And... and he chose this unridden colt very much on purpose. As an animal that had not been ridden by anyone else, it was very appropriate for a king. According to the Mishnah, a collection of Jewish oral laws and rabbinic interpretations of the law, no one was allowed to ride the mount of a king except the king himself. Having never been ridden, the colt was unbroken. This was an animal on which no one had ever sat. Perfect for a king. But when you think about it, how do unbroken animals behave when they are mounted for the first time? 
they tend to misbehave, right? They don't like being ridden. They've never felt this before. They buck and they jump and, and until they are broken, right? Here we have a young, unbroken colt, surrounded by the excitement of the crowd, waving branches in front of it, placing cloaks down in front of it, shouting and surrounding them before and behind. You think this colt might be scared? And again, we see the authority of Jesus Christ as freshly mounted and unbroken through the crowd. This colt, this animal, carries him calmly into Jerusalem. Psalm 8, verses 4 through 8. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. Colts too. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Just as Jesus could calm the wind and the waves, just as he could do these things, he held this colt, this unbroken animal, under perfect control. As this colt recognizes and responds to its creator. And all of this, all of this is, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as we read that he entered the temple in verse 11... We remember Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Malachi, a a passage which also foresees what Jesus would do the next day as well when he returned to the temple to cleanse it. The reality of Jesus is that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the sovereign of all creation. He is God in the flesh. And in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
Jesus is the exact character of God, equal to and being of the same essence as the Father and the Spirit. The Lord is one. A complex and composite unity. A triunity. Jesus comes with all the authority and power of God, seen here in his words and his deeds and the response of the cult to his master. Seen here in the fulfillment of scripture regarding these very events, prophecy come to pass in Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Philippians, when when he fulfilled ultimately his purposes of salvation for us as our atonement, paying the price of death in our place for our sins, as our propitiation, assuaging the righteous wrath of God towards us by his blood shed at the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. Glory and honor are due to Jesus for the reality of who he is. But those around him on this day recognized only a part of that reality. They gave him glory, but from a, a misconceived idea of who he is and his purposes. Verses 7 through 10, it says, And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They shouted the words of Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26 reads like this it says save us we pray O lord O lord we pray give us success blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord we bless you from the house of the lord they cried out hosanna save us now but with a misunderstanding of what jesus was there to save them from They added to these verses. Did you see the phrase in in this passage that they added to this? Go ahead, look for a second. They added the phrase, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. That isn't in that psalm. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. While it is a messianic truth that he must be the son of David, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus never mentions in Scripture the establishment of the kingdom of David. But they cry out. They cry out not for the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke of 13 times in the book of Mark, They don't cry out for the kingdom of heaven that Jesus teaches about 30 times in the book of Matthew because they were looking for a king who would overthrow their Roman oppressors 
and free Israel from their rule. They were looking for the establishment of an earthly kingdom. They were looking for an earthly king who would give them a temporal freedom from their foreign rulers. They recognized him as the Messiah, but misunderstood that he came not to save them from Rome, but from their own sins. Our own sins. They missed that aspect of Malachi that describes him coming not to change a political system, but like a refiner's fire, a fuller's soap, to clean, to refine, and purify their hearts. Have you accepted a Christ whom you have misconceived to be something or someone that he is not? Have you accepted a Christ whom you have misconceived to be something or someone that he is not? Many of these who crowded around Jesus would be disappointed. They would fall away. Five days later, some of them would cry out for his crucifixion because they accepted Jesus based upon what they wanted him to do or what they wanted him to be. Not because of who he is and his purposes for us as they are described in God's word, but based upon their purposes for him. Is, Is your Jesus good for getting you into the school or the future you want? Is he good for getting you the job or the house or the spouse that you're looking for or solving your problems? Do we have a preconceived notion of Jesus or are we willing to receive him for who he really is and for what he has really called us to? As I was preparing this message, it it struck me that once again because this hits me every once in a while, how often I pray for and seek out the comfort and agreement of God with me and my own will. Instead of looking toward the call of God and his will according to his word, when I acknowledge who he really is, sovereign God, master and king, Words that we aren't used to here in America. But that's what he is. Am I prepared to follow him? Instead of trying to manipulate him into following me. Do we have a triumphal entry faith like like those who on this day surrounded Jesus to to fulfill a personal felt need or desire? A faith that falls apart when we don't see God doing the things we think he's supposed to do? According to our will and desires? Or or do we have a faith in the reality of Jesus Christ? Receiving him for who he is, living for him out of a love for him. In recognition of what he's done for us. In his death and resurrection at the cross His love and his righteousness on display. He loved us while we were his enemies. Look what happens in verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Fairly 
lackluster arrival of God into his temple, isn't it? Here comes the king, the Messiah, the Lord of all creation into his temple that he gave directions to Moses. This is how you should build it. And that temple fell apart, but Herod built a new one. It was in the same location. He comes into his temple. He's fulfilled prophecy, the word of God declaring who Jesus is. He's been hailed and honored by the crowd just outside of Jerusalem. He enters his temple. And he looks around. No one recognizes him. No one acknowledges him. Here was their opportunity. Israel could have received their Messiah right then and there. What a difference would that have made in all creation? If Israel had risen up and looked and said, that's our Messiah, God has entered the temple and worshipped him right then and there. What an amazing crossroad right there. Nobody said a word. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. Who's that? Look at the time. Come on, guys, let's go to Bethany. The temple was active. There was lots going on. There were money changers. There were merchants providing the sale of sacrificial animals. There were offerings. The Levites, the priests, they were all there doing their thing. Those who ran the place, if anyone, should have known who just walked through the doors. The scribes and the lawyers, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these who knew God's word, those who who memorized it, they had practically the entirety of the Old Testament memorized. That was a part of their education. They were an oral culture. They were those who, who told Herod where the Messiah was to be born when the kings came to worship him. Those who would have known the signs of healing that Jesus had done throughout Israel over the last three years were messianic in nature. That the blind saw and the deaf spoke and the lame walked. Those who should have had passages like Zechariah 9.9 and Malachi 3 running through their minds at this point. And yet they denied the Christ the glory due his name. They didn't even acknowledge him. They saw and they heard, but they would not recognize him. It's worse in my mind than a a denial. It's it's an intentional ignorance. They chose not to recognize him. Not from an inability to see the sign, but because they didn't like how he was confronting their lives and how they lived them. They were active in the temple. They loved to to come into the temple gates and, and hear their tithes as they took these coins and they would throw them clanging into the shofar chests. There were these chests where they would put their tithes in. They had these brass trumpets and you'd throw your tithe in and the more coins, the larger coins you threw in, the more noise it would make and you'd walk through. And the Pharisees would walk through in their regalia and their robes and they'd throw in a large amount of coins and it'd go clanking through. While a widow would throw in a little mite, 
They loved to listen to how grand they were. They maintained a picture of faith in God, but didn't want God to change them. They didn't want to accept Jesus' authority. Are we active in the temple, but void of a life that recognizes the authority of Christ in every room of our lives? Are we withholding the glory from him, the glory due to him, by refusing to acknowledge him when he walks in? When his word speaks to a given area of our hearts and minds, and we simply don't want to, when God says, hold the marriage bed in honor, oh, but I really love her, even though she isn't my wife, even though she's, she's just on a computer screen. God says, hold the marriage bed in honor. When God says, declare the love of Christ through the gospel above traditions or laws or cultures or generations. But it isn't worship unless we do it this way. I'm not going to sing that hymn. I'm not going to sing that contemporary song. They have gray hair or they have different colored skin. They're not like me. I shouldn't worship them. I don't want to associate with them. God calls us to greater things. Come to Jesus. See and recognize the reality of who he is. And let the sovereign God of all creation change your life. Let's see how he wants to have his greatest glory made manifest in us as a church through you, through us. Not, having not a faith of misconception of who he is, not a denial of his authority because we don't want to be confronted, but a faith that ascribes to the Lord the glory due his name. A faith that allows him to transform us, to change how we think. A faith that desires to walk according to our upward call in Christ Jesus. And to align our will with his. Not a triumphal entry faith. But a faith that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for the things that only you can do through us. We pray, Lord, that many would come to know you. Lord, we pray that you would even use this Easter season that you, by your Spirit, would work people's hearts and minds opening eyes, opening hearts to the truth of who you are, the reality to see who you are. Even, Lord, would you garner that in in us, that we wouldn't think we've made it, but that we'd be willing and desirous to be transformed according to your word. Lord, work here in this place. 
Help us to remember that it's not just in these four walls, but as we go out into this world, as we go home, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us and they also discipline us, helping us to know that you are God. Help us to walk in that. Praise you, Lord, for this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.